I want to examine the journey of propaganda from the early days of human experience to the present. Welcome to my alternative history podcast. Communications. It's a means to share. Channels of communication can be visual, auditory, tactile, haptic, through smell, or even biological. Human communication is unique for its extensive use of language. Development of civilization has been linked to progress in communication. Media is considered the communication outlets or tools used to store and deliver information or data. The term refers to components of the mass media communications industry, such as print media, publishing, the news media, photography, cinema, broadcasting, radio, TV, digital media, advertising as well. It is a storage and delivery tool. That is why TikTok is a social media. It's a delivery and technically the storage tool, as well as the consumption tool. Why start with the definition of media and communications in a podcast about the history of propaganda? Well, stay tuned to the end of the podcast, because the links become obvious as we get to the present moment in 2021, and things will start to feel eerily familiar. Propaganda is communication that is primarily used to influence an audience and further an agenda, which may not be objective and may be selectively presenting facts in order to encourage a particular synthesis or perception or using loaded language in order to produce an emotional rather than rational response to the information that is being presented. Although in the 20th century, the term propaganda was often associated with a manipulative approach, historically propaganda has been considered as a term fairly neutral in itself. A wide range of materials and media are used for conveying propaganda messages, which changed as new technologies were invented including printing, cartoons, posters, pamphlets, films, radio shows, TV shows, and websites. More recently in the digital age, it has given rise to new ways of dismantling propaganda. For example, bots and algorithms are currently being used to create computational propaganda and fake or biased or alternative news items spread across social media. Let's face it, propaganda has been around as far as recorded human existence has been around. The moment we started to inscribe on clay forms in the Middle East, propaganda started to exist. And prior to that, we probably had some level of oral propaganda. Famously, Genghis Khan would send some of his men ahead to spread rumors about the size and brutality of his armies to scare the population that he was coming. Often, they were not as big. Then there was that whole civil war in Rome, between Octavian and Mark Anthony. Propaganda. They both released propaganda. In 515 BC, the Petusian inscriptions detail the rise of Darius I to the Persian or Iranian throne. Then there were the Ashokan pillars in India, and images of the pharaohs in hieroglyphics. I would like to add that most religious texts are from propaganda, or some form of propaganda. Often written laws and even constitutions could be described as propaganda. Not always in a bad way, but you know, they certainly are a level of propaganda. But all this content was not widely available, not even able to get quickly from town to town, until three earth-shattering inventions came together. I call this the first wave. One, paper. Two, movable type. And three, the printing press. Stuff you and I take for granted took propaganda to new levels. 
It allowed religious texts to be widely distributed. It challenged religious doctrine. It supported revolutions. It won elections. It started wars. It ended genocide. It elevated nobodies to celebrities and others to political greatness. It brought people down. It destroyed societies. That was just the first wave. Then we had the second wave, and we're kind of still in that wave now. In this second wave, we saw the development of three new things. One, the radio. Two, the internet. And three, fast mobile cloud connectivity. This second wave has proved equally as revolutionary as the first. The second wave is only a few years old, yet it has revolutionized so much. But let's get back to the beginning. Paper. Well, before paper, humans drew stuff on walls, cave walls, clay tablets, monuments, and so on. They also used parchment made out of untanned animal skin, possibly young animals who never saw daylight before being slaughtered. Nasty. The word paper is derived from papyrus, an ancient Greek for the cypress papyrus plant. Papyrus is a thick paper-like material produced from the pith of the papyrus plant, which was used in ancient Egypt and other Mediterranean societies for writing long before paper was used in China. Papyrus is made by cutting off thin ribbon-like strips of the interior of the plant and then laying out the strips side by side to make a sheet. The second layer is then placed on top with the strips running at right angles to the first. The two layers are then pounded together into a sheet. So there was something, but it wasn't until Kai Lun, a Chinese inventor and eunuch, a court official of the Eastern Han Dynasty, he is traditionally regarded as the inventor of paper and the modern papermaking process, as he originated paper in its modern form. Although early forms of paper had existed since the 3rd century BCE in China, he was responsible for significant improvements in the paper-making process by adding important new materials such as tree bark to its composition. Kai's contributions have been enormously impactful on entirely the human history of civilization. This invention can be dated to around 105 AD. So what is paper? It is a thin sheet material produced by mechanically and or chemically processing cellulose fibers derived from wood, rags, grasses, and other vegetable sources in water, then draining the water through fine mesh, leaving the fiber evenly distributed on the surface, followed by pressing and drying. Although paper was originally made in single sheets by hand, almost all of it today is made on large machines. Before the invention and current widespread adoption of automated machines, all paper was actually made by hand, formed or laid one sheet at a time by specialized laborers. Even today, those who make paper by hand use tools and technologies similar to those existing hundreds of years ago and developed in China. Although portable and easy to produce, paper on its own isn't media. It needed something else. Enter movable type. Bi Sheng, 972 to 1051 AD, was a Chinese artisan and inventor of the world's first movable type technology, with printing being one of the four great inventions of ancient China, the other three being paper, the compass, and gunpowder. 
Sheng's system was made of Chinese porcelain and was invented between 1039 and 1048 AD during the medieval Song dynasty. What is movable type? Well, movable type is the system and technology of printing and typography that uses movable components to reproduce the elements of a document, usually individual alphanumeric characters or punctuation marks, and it's typically used on paper. The earliest printed paper money with movable metal type to print the identifying code of the money was made in 1161 during the Song Dynasty. In 1193, a book in the Song Dynasty documented how to use the copper movable type. The oldest extant book printed with movable type print was Jekiji, which was printed in Korea in 1377 during the Jairoro Dynasty. So the invention of paper and of movable type created the benchmarks and the basics of media, but not propaganda. This couldn't get propaganda out to the masses. Something else needed to happen. And that something else was the printing press. Johannes Gutenberg, born 1400, died 1468, was a German inventor and publisher who brought printing movable type to Europe with his mechanical movable type printing press. His work started the printing revolution and is regarded as a milestone development in human communications, bringing in pretty much the modern period of human history. It cannot be underestimated how much these inventions changed human civilization and human mass communication. Paper, the movable type technology, and the mechanical mass printing press changed everything. It also changed the nature of propaganda. It is of little coincidence that after the mechanical printing press originated in Germany, we had the Renaissance, emergence of Protestant theologies, the Reformation, and so on. The most important thing to note here is that the new technologies decentralized and democratized information, power, narratives, histories, ideas, plans, technologies, religion, science, etc. But like all good decentralized technologies, someone powerful needed control. Governments, organizations, and powerful individuals sprang up to fill this gap. Propaganda moved from tablets, oral narratives, to written paper documents. Not only could information spread like wildfire, but it could also create brand new ideas, or more importantly, shape new ideas. Let's just consider the impact on the historical events that occurred soon after the invention of the mass printing press in Europe. Religious reform and reformation was one. Huge push to move Latin Christianity, both Catholic and Protestant, beyond Western Europe was another. It led to the control of the new colonies. It improved accounts for historical records. It created and developed the accounting standards. We invented paper money. See episode 10 on the history of money from this podcast. A bunch of revolutions happened. Liberalism was propagated. Well, so was conservatism and socialism. Oh, and by the way, communism, fascism too. The spread of scientific ideas happened. The spread of language occurred, and maths too, and so much more. Oh, and most importantly for propaganda, 
newspapers, pamphlets, books and magazines became popular. Now you could organize an entire movement. The technology enabled the rise of communism through Karl Marx, the publication of Darwin's thesis on evolution, Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations. None of these concepts would have happened without the printing press, nor would Hitler's ability to turn fascism throughout Europe. Propaganda went from oral traditions in 1900 BC to actual actions in 1900 AD. The first large-scale and organized propagation of government propaganda was used at the outbreak of World War in 1914. After the defeat of Germany in the First World War, military officials suggested British propaganda had been instrumental in the defeat of Germany in 1918. Adolf Hitler actually came to echo this view, believing that it had been the primary cause of the collapse of morale and revolts in the German home front and navy in 1918. In fact, in Mein Kampf, Hitler expounded his theory of propaganda, which provided a powerful base for his rise to power by 1933. Historian Robert Enser explains that Hitler put no limits on what can be done by propaganda. People will believe anything, provided they are told it often enough and emphatically enough, and that the contradictors are either silenced or smothered. Don't think it was just the Nazis, though the Soviets, the British, the Americans, and just about anyone who wanted to be a player or were a player in the 1914 to 1945 era was busy with political propaganda. After 1949, the Cold War propaganda machine was needed for both sides to feed the fear of God or the devil and in dehumanizing the other side. So much of what we are fed was propaganda during the Cold War. So much so that people started to believing it to be true. Some of these propagandist fantasies then began to enter natural, national myths. But no, it wasn't just the Soviets and Americans. Various revolutions, socialist movements and conflicts in the 20th century used propaganda to push their objectives. Most of the speeches at the UN Security Council is, was propaganda. Politics became essentially the art of twisting the truth just enough so propaganda can make its speaker remotely believable. History books have become littered with propaganda. Over time, history has been, well, audited to match a particular narrative. I actually refer you to my episode 7 on education. Education was and is the ultimate vehicle of propaganda. Take a youngster, throw a bunch of narratives at them, the greatness of nations, gods, traditions, and so on, and boom. The second wave of propaganda started with the arrival of yet a newer technology. Much of that is still being created today. And it came out of two world wars and one cold war. In my view, those three are, one, the radio, two, the internet, three, fast mobile connections. Just like paper, Movable type and the printing press reshaped propaganda in the 1500s. 400 years later, radio waves, the internet and the mobile would reshape propaganda once again. Let's look at radio. James Clark Maxwell showed in theoretical and mathematical form in 1864 that electromagnetic waves could propagate through free space it is likely that the first intentional transmission of a signal by means of electromagnetic waves was performed in an experiment by David Edward Hughes around 1880. 
Eight years later, in 1888, Hendrik Rudolf Hertz was able to conclusively prove transmitted airborne electromagnetic waves in an experiment confirming Maxwell's theory of electromagnetism. In 1900, a Brazilian priest named Roberto Landel de Moura transmitted the human voice wirelessly. According to the newspaper journal Do Comasso, in 1900, he conducted his first public experiment on June the 3rd, 1900, in front of journalists and the General Council of Great Britain. Thus was born one of the most revolutionary components of current modern propaganda, radio. Radio is a technology of signaling and communication using radio waves. Radio waves are electromagnetic waves of frequency between 30 hertz and 300 gigahertz. They are generated by an electronic device called a transmitter connected to an antenna, which radiates the waves and receives by a radio receiver connected to another antenna. Radio is widely, widely, widely used in modern technology. It's used in radio communications, radar, navigation, remote control, remote sensing, and other applications. In addition, the technology is used in just radio and television broadcasting, plus mobile phones, two-way radio communications, wireless networking, satellite communications, among numerous other uses. Radio waves are used to carry information across space from a transmitter to a receiver by modulating the signal. So now suddenly, not only could people open doors magically, but change television channels without getting up off their sofas. Packet switching. Packet switching is a method of grouping data that is transmitted over a digital network into packets. Packets are made of a header and a payload. Data in the header is used by networking hardware to direct the packet to its destination where the payload is extracted and used by application software. Packet switching is the primary basis for data communications in computer networks worldwide. That is the precursor to the origin of the internet, which dates back to the development of packet switching and research, which was commissioned by the US Department of Defense in the 1960s to enable time sharing of computers. So what is the internet? It is the global system of interconnected computer networks that uses the Internet Protocol Suite, TCP or IP, to communicate between networks and devices. It is a network of networks that consists of private, public, academic, business, and government networks at the international and local levels. The Internet carries a vast range of information resources and services, such as the interlinked hypertext documents and applications of the World Wide Web that we use. Electronic mail, telephony, and file sharing can also be done through the internet. It can be used for multiple media communication points. And nothing short of a goldmine for propagating propaganda. Then there's mobile computing. Mobile computing is human-computer interaction in which a computer is expected to be transported during normal usage which allows for the transmission of data, voice, and video. Mobile computing involves mobile communication, mobile hardware, and mobile software. 
communication. Issues include ad hoc networks and infrastructure networks, as well as communication properties, protocols, data formats, and concrete technologies. Hardware includes things like mobile devices or device components. Mobile software deals with the characteristics and requirements of mobile applications. Like the arrival of paper, movable type, and a mechanized printing press, these three new technologies in just 100 years or so have revolutionized society and along with it, propaganda. Radio, for example, was used during the Second World War as propaganda by both the Axis and Allied countries. Then there was the Chinese Cultural Revolution. That is textbook propaganda. Those images of Soviet workers' right to fight. The ability of the US to sell brutal wars in Korea, Vietnam and Iraq were entirely propaganda. The decolonization of European empires and the rise of new local narratives. Propaganda. The ability to organize remotely, like the London riots, the BLM violence, and the Hong Kong anti-government protests of 2020, was driven by propaganda. To win and lose elections on televised platforms. Propaganda. Propaganda is how countries keep their narratives together. And just like the printing press resulted in paper money, the digital revolution resulted in virtual and digital money. But it was not just money, but when and where possible, work and war also went virtual. What the printing press did in the 1500s, the internet, radio, etc. did in the 2000s. It decentralized and democratized information. And again, governments, organizations and powerful individuals started to control the narratives. Countries like the US, China, Russia and the EU started playing cyber wars, so people started creating firewalls to keep the bad guys out and the narratives in. Large companies like Google and Twitter started to own the news distribution, replacing the newspaper magnets of old. The means changed, but the mentality remains. We need to control the narrative, we need to control the information, and we need to propagate our own propaganda. Shaping minds, especially young minds, is a priority for just about everyone. Now, what would a podcast about propaganda be worth if I didn't go into the best propaganda techniques that you can use? You can use it for work, at work, at home, at university, at school, at the pub, and be aware if you know what information to absorb or what information to reject. If nothing else, you can use these techniques to win elections. A number of propaganda techniques have evolved based on social psychological research that were used to generate propaganda. Many of these same techniques can be classified as logical fallacies since propagandists use arguments that, while sometimes convincing, are not necessarily valid. So I'm now going to go through a bunch of those. Keep note. Number one, ad hominem, which is a Latin phrase that has come to mean attacking one's opponent as opposed to attacking their arguments. Ad nauseum. This uses tireless repetition of an idea, an idea, especially a simple slogan that is repeated enough times may begin to be taken as the truth. This approach is more effective alongside propagandists 
limiting or controlling the media. Then there's agenda setting. Agenda setting means it's just the ability of the news media to influence the importance placed on the topic of the public agenda, i.e. if a news item is covered frequently and prominently, the audience will regard the issue as more important than something else. Then there's something called appeal to authority. Appeals to authority cite prominent figures to support a position, idea, argument, or a course of action. Then there's something called appeal to fear. These seek to build support by instilling anxieties and panic in the general population. For example, Joseph Grobbles exploited Theodore Kaufmann's Germany must perish to claim that the Allies sought the extermination of the German people. Then there's something called appeal to prejudice. That's using loaded or emotive terms to attach value or moral goodness to believing the proposition. Then there's bandwagon. The bandwagon, also considered the inevitable victory appeal, attempts to persuade the target audience to join in and take the course of action that everyone else is taking. It's kind of a join the crowd concept. Then there's this idea called beautiful people, where the type of propaganda here uses attractive people and famous faces and people. This suggests if people buy a product or follow a certain ideology, they too will be happy and successful. Then there's the big lie concept. This is the repeated articulation of a complex set of events that then justify the subsequent action. Then there's classical conditioning. That is, if A is always present when B is present, and B causes a physical reaction, then when presented with object A in the absence of B, the same reaction will be experienced. Then there's cognitive discord. People desire to be consistent. Suppose a pollster finds that a certain group of people hates his candidate for senator, but loves actor A. They use actor A's endorsement for their candidate to change people's minds because people cannot tolerate inconsistency. They are forced to either dislike the actor or like the or like the candidate. You might want to keep that in mind the next time a celebrity endorses a political party. Then there's the common man concept, where plain folks or common man approaches are attempts to convince the audience that the propagandist positions reflect the common sense of their people. Then there's the cult of personality. The cult of personality arises when an individual uses the mass media to create an idealized and heroic public image, often through unquestioning flattery and praise. The hero personality then advocates the positions that the propagandists desire to promote. For example, Modern propagandists hire popular personalities to promote their ideas or products. Then there's something called demonizing the enemy. That's where making individuals from the opposite position the enemy. I.e. making individuals from an opposing nation, from a different ethnic group, or those who support an entirely opposite viewpoint appear to be subhuman. Then there's something around demoralization. Demoralization is propaganda towards an adversary to erode their fighting spirit and encourage their surrender or defection. So what is a diktat? This technique hopes to simplify the decision-making process by using images and words to tell the audience exactly what actions to take. You may have heard of disinformation, 
Well, this information is the creation or deletion of information from public records in the purpose of making a false record of an event or the actions of a person or organization, including outright forgery of photographs, pictures, and broadcasts, including sound recordings, as well as printed documents. Oh, and then there's divide and rule. Divide and rule in politics and sociology is gaining and maintaining power by breaking up larger concentrations of power into pieces that individually have less power than the one implementing the strategy. Then there's exaggeration. An exaggeration occurs when the most fundamental aspects of a statement are true, but only to a certain degree. It's also seen as stretching the truth or making something appear more powerful, meaningful, or real than it actually is. And there's false accusations. A false accusation is a claim or allegation of wrongdoing that is untrue and or otherwise unsupported by facts. Flag-waving is an attempt to justify an action on the grounds that doing so will make one more patriotic or in some way benefit a group, country, or idea, generally. What's gaslighting? It's using persistent denial, misdirection, contradiction, and lying to sow the seeds of doubt in a target or individual or group, hoping to make them question their own memories, their own perceptions, their own sanities, and their own norms. Then there are half-truths. A half-truth is a deceptive statement that includes some element of truth. It comes in several forms. The statement might be partly true, the statement may be totally true, but only part of the whole truth. Then you have information overload. Information overload can have the same effect as secrecy, and certainly in the short term for democracies today, it is considered the most effective way of propaganda. You throw a bunch of information at someone and expect no one to read it. Managing the news. According to Adolf Hitler, the most brilliant propagandist technique will yield no success unless one fundamental principle is borne in mind constantly. It must confine itself to a few points and then repeat them over and over and over and over and over again. The idea is consistent with the principle of classic conditioning as well as the idea of staying on message. Then there's name-calling. Propagandists used name-calling techniques to incite fears and around prejudices in others who are the listeners. People also do quotes out of context, where selective editing of quotes that can change meanings are used. Political documentaries designed to discredit an opponent or an opposing political viewpoint will often use these techniques. You may have heard of the term red herring. What is that? Well, it's presenting data or issues that, while compelling, are completely irrelevant to the argument at hand, and then claiming that it validates the argument itself. Then there's scapegoating, which assigns blame to an individual or group, thus alleviating the feelings of guilt from responsible parties or distracting attention from the need to fix the problem for which the blame is being assigned. Oh, then there's slogans. A slogan is a brief, striking phase that may include labeling and stereotyping. Oh, smears. Smear 
is an effort to damage or call into question someone's reputation by propounding negative propaganda. It can be applied to individuals or groups. Stereotyping, that's name-calling and labeling. So what's a straw man? A straw man argument is an informal fallacy based on misrepresentation of an opponent's position. The third party technique, this works on the principle that people are more willing to accept an argument from a seemingly independent source of information than from someone with a stake in the outcome. Finally, whataboutism. Whataboutism is a variant of the logical fallacy that attempts to discredit an opponent's position by charging them with hypocrisy without directly refuting or disproving that argument that they're making. You might be thinking this is all about lying and deception. You might be thinking that everything you know is a lie or a deception, question mark, and maybe you question everything. But I'll put it to you that this isn't just about lying and deception. This is actually a reflection of human nature. Propagating a viewpoint, lying, deceiving, etc. This is human nature. This is who we are. And it is up to us to decide what information we want to take or not take. Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman came around and created something called, or identified something called, the propaganda model. The model seeks to explain how populations are manipulated and how constant consent for economic, social, and political policies, both foreign and domestic, is ultimately manufactured in the public mind due to propaganda. Their theory persists that the way in which corporate media is structured, i.e. through advertising, concentration of media ownership and government sources, creates an inherent conflict of interest and therefore acts as propaganda for, I'm air quoting here, anti-democratic elements. Going back to the start of this podcast, I started with a definition of the media and communications. And I'm going to end with that too, because the propaganda that you're receiving today comes from these very sources. Those sources are just the tools. What you're reading, what you're hearing, including this podcast, is ultimately somebody's idea and somebody's propaganda. Propaganda is nothing more than the art of persuasion. This is stuff taught in social psychology classes all over the world. We are all victims and benefactors of propaganda. It is a long journey from oral propaganda all the way through to digital propaganda through paper and the internet. It is not going away anytime soon. Due to the decentralization of news through social media, everyone is now an expert and a commentator all in one go. Well, what about the future of propaganda? Well, it's not going to change. I actually see tighter government control in societies where government is strong, like China and Russia. I see more corporate control in democracies. In both cases, people will find alternatives. In China, VPN is often used to use non-Chinese sources, while in the US, new tools started to emerge after Donald Trump was banned from Twitter. People find a way. It is the job of the elites to own the narrative, whilst it is the obligation of the rest of society to sneak around it. As recently as 2020 to 2021, 
when governments across the planet were locking down, pumping money into the economy and controlling the narrative on the biological event of the coronavirus, there were dissenters in high office like Bolsonaro in Brazil to pockets of dissenters in individual countries. While most of us obeyed the orders put down on us through the government machinery, these individuals, originally termed COVIDiots, were the ones who didn't buy into the narrative. They went against the propaganda. You may agree or disagree with what they believed, did or said. But it is without question that without this dissent and those others that go drastically against the narrative of the masses, the propaganda always wins. You've all heard that saying, never believe the hype. You have been listening to the Alternative History Podcast. Please like, subscribe, comment and recommend on your platform of choice. Thank you very much. That's my bit of propaganda. <laughs>